This is Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Let's get into it. Hi, guys. Today, we got a special guest on the podcast. His name is Mark Wayne Mullen. So he is running to represent the state of Oklahoma as one of its two U.S. senators. He was one of the top two vote getters in the June 29th Republican primary here in the state of Oklahoma. He got 43.6% of the vote, and he will be part of a runoff election, which will be held on August the 23rd to determine who will represent the Republican Party in the general election on November the 8th of this year. So in order to help Oklahoma Republicans with their decision on August the 23rd and so that people outside of the state of Oklahoma can hear from a politician that will very, very likely become a member of the U.S. Senate. I interviewed both of these guys. So I interviewed Mark Wayne Mullen and his opponent, T.W. Shannon, uh, on the same, I uh, tried to get it on the same day, but we got it around the same time period. And I'm releasing the interviews with them on the same day at the same time. What I tried to do and what you'll probably see if you listen to both of them is I did my best to conduct the interviews in a way that allows for all of you to easily compare and contrast their answers on a load of important topics. So a lot of the questions were the exact same. There were some interesting different bits of uh, follow-up. So TW is a little bit brief. Um, and Mark Wayne went into a little bit more detail, but hopefully that's apparent uh, when you listen to this that I tried to be as neutral as possible with all this. And guys, again, just side note, if you're wondering why does it look so dark right now, if you're watching me on Rumble or on YouTube, it's because it's very early right now. So in order to get this done and in between his schedule we had to make sure to get this done early so that's why it looks the way that it does right now and part of that is because he is currently a member of the United States House of Representatives representing Oklahoma's second congressional district so we had to move this interview around a couple of times because Nancy Pelosi decided that we needed to move the vote here on this day move the vote here on that day but that's neither here nor there but he is also a businessman that runs the Mullen Ranch which is actually a working cow-calf operation in eastern Oklahoma and he's also a former MMA fighter so he's a 3-0 and professional record as far as I could tell. He's done a whole lot of jiu-jitsu, even though he and I talked a little bit afterwards. It's been a while since he's been able to consistently be uh, be on the mats. But in this particular interview, we obviously talked about, you know, why he's running for the United States Senate, the kind of the differences between between the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate and what that will look like if he transitions, you know, how he's going to be able to keep this this sizable lead over TW uh, from the, the primary and now into the runoff. Also, he got Donald Trump's endorsement. And I asked him, you know, hey, is that going to put a little bit of stain on you? Because... Not everybody likes Trump, so we get into that. We get into his thoughts on Joe Biden and the Biden administration. We talk about how, if he goes to the U.S. Senate, how he can help fix the economy, what we're dealing right now uh, with illegal immigration, the rise of China, wokeness. I ask him about his Christian faith and how that's kind of a center point of what he's doing there. I take him through the what would you say to someone that said section, which, again, I know you guys love that when I do that with people on this podcast, but also the big question, which is why Oki should vote for him over T.W. Shannon. So, guys, I really enjoyed my time with him. I hope you did as well. So without further ado. Let's get into it. Mark Wayne Mullen, welcome to Undaunted Life of Man's podcast. Thanks, Kyle. Thanks for having me on. Hey, I'm glad we were able to work this out. Nancy Pelosi tried to keep this from happening. You know, we had to reschedule a couple of times because, you know, she yep. had to, in between, you know, her vodka tonics, she had to make sure she could get a couple of uh, votes moved around. But and, in this. Inexpensive ice cream. And actually, I'm, I'm setting in a little call suite in D.C. because I'm, I'm, I'm still stuck in D.C. right now. So. Well, when are you going to come back to Oklahoma? Because, uh, I mean, we need you on this red dirt. We don't need you out there in the swamp. I don't like being in the concrete jungle anymore, and I have to. So we'll be uh, we'll be heading back uh, just as soon as we get out of here. Hopefully today. That's my that's my plan. Get on a late flight tonight and fly back to God's country. All right, fair enough. Well, in this interview, we're going to obviously get to know you a little bit better. But I hate starting generically, but you kind of have to because not everybody knows what they're tuning in for. So in the most generic way possible, 
Why are you running for the United States Senate? Well, um, I feel like the fight's in the Senate. I'm not okay with setting back. I don't think that's where we're at in this country right now. I have a saying that um, uh, that I came up with years and years ago. I had a I had a secretary that worked for me that was running a company uh, that was managing a company in in uh, Oklahoma City. And every time I walked in her office, she always had a a tremendous amount of uh, of complaints to bring to me. And it always bugged me because I don't mind having complaints, but have solutions with you. If I hire you as a manager, you need to come up with some solutions. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it, I was just fed up with it one day, and I wrote on our calendar. You know, back then we had desk calendars, for, which was a great thing to doodle on. And I wrote across it: "You're never going to change anything you're willing to tolerate." This was probably 2001, 2002. And ever since then, I've kind of lived by that. You're never going to change anything you're willing to tolerate. And just like you and everybody else, I'm fed up with what's happening right now. And I feel like that fights in the Senate and I've got more fight. Uh, I want to be someplace to be productive. You know, when this seat came open, my, my wife looked at me and she asked me one question. Where can you be the most productive if you're going to be away from 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 me and the kids? Because we have six kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I coach them almost every single weekend when we're wrestling uh, or jujitsu, either one. And uh, and my wife and I were best friends. I mean, I mean that sincerely. We've been married 25 years and we were, you know, we were high school sweethearts, elementary sweethearts, junior high sweethearts, been together forever. And, and, uh, and when she asked me that without hesitation, I said, I said the Senate, she said, and that's where you need, we need to be. And, and so that's where the fight is. And that's where I think we're going to be tapping. That's where the fight for this country, that's where the heart of this country is right now in the Senate. Uh, because through these executive orders, he's making regulations and laws that are destroying this country. And every one of those go through the Senate. Yeah, I, I obviously agree with that. And the interesting thing about it, as I said in the intro, is you're currently in the United States House of Representatives, right. and then there's the U.S. Senate. Now, most people that don't pay attention because we don't teach civics anymore in this country, they don't really know the fundamental difference between the two. Whereas, I guess the, the easy way to talk about it is the U.S. House of Representatives is kind of where all the gunslingers are, right? You can say a lot of things, but there's a whole yeah. lot more of them. But the United States Senate is, is you know, for, it's one of the fraternities that's one of the most exclusive on the planet. Every state gets two senators. You're trying to be one of two here for the for the state of Oklahoma. So why, why do you think, or I guess, what do you think it would be like for you, you know, assuming that, you know, you win these next two elections or something like that, going from the United States House of Representatives to the U.S. Senate, what would that be like? Other than I'm bringing an average age way down. Yeah, right. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's an old man club. Uh, I, uh, you know, really, I don't know. It's a new challenge in our life. I, I don't, I'm never afraid of challenges. I, I believe that you should walk it towards pressure, not walk away from pressure. But I do know the differences between the chamber. They call them the upper and lower chamber. Right. So technically up here, the, the Senate's called the upper chamber. House is called the lower chamber. And you described it real well. You got a lot more gunslingers um, down in the weeds and the mud and, and on the House. Uh, the, the Senate moves much slower. It, it's methodical. It's, mm-hmm. it's designed to do that. And our founding fathers wanted to do that. They knew that the Senate would move fast. They needed to slow down the process when it got to the Senate to give more time to actually process what's happening. And, and uh, But there is a large difference because in the House, we are strictly legislators. I mean, we make laws. That's that that's that's the the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah, we do control the purse strings, but we jointly contr- control the purse strings with the with the Senate. So the upper and lower chamber has to agree on all any spending bill. But in the House, we are legislators. In the Senate, they deal with more of the things we're dealing with right now, like the Supreme Court nominees. Mm-hmm. Um, 
they have to vote on them and and bring them in. Now the president can can nominate them, but the but the Senate confirms them. Uh, when you have all these agencies, these regulatory agencies, uh, they're the ones that get confirmed. All these head of agencies they get confirmed in the Senate. You start talking about the DOD, all um, um, uh, all promotions. Uh, once you get above colonel, they go through the Senate. And, and they, they get confirmed. And when you start talking about ambassadors who caused me all kinds of trouble when I was over in Afghanistan, when we were trying to get Americans out because this, this administration decided to leave Americans behind for political purposes, my biggest hindrance was dealing with the State Department uh, underneath Secretary Blinken and these ambassadors over there. And all that goes through the Senate. So when I say that the fight's in the Senate, that's why. The president, it, once we get control of the House in November and control the Senate, the president's not going to be ruling through legislation anymore like he has been through Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer. He's going to be doing it all through these agencies to which he appointed and the Senate confirmed. So I feel like I have a better opportunity to hold these agencies, hold the DOD, hold the State Department accountable being a senator than I do a representative. Well, so let's talk about that a little bit further, because obviously I've been watching what, you know, good things people are saying and bad things people are saying about both people in this race. One of the things about you is it's like, OK, you're a swamp creature because you've been in Washington, D.C. for over a decade, you know, as you know, as in the United States uh, House of Representatives. And so it's like it's almost like, hey. Does he have the the countenance? Does he have the the emotional fortitude to be able to move from the gunslinging side of the the house to the upper chamber to the upper house? Those types those types of things. That's something that's being said, but but also, it's, it is a different mindset in terms of how you're supposed to operate in the, the house and the things that you say hold a lot more weight because there's so much fewer so uh, so many fewer U.S. senators. You know, you're elected to six year terms. Those types of things. So, what would you say to people that would be like, hey? You've been in Congress the entire time spending's gone out the wazoo the entire time this, that, and the other thing's been going on. I know you've you've heard that before, but what's your sure. response? Well, I, I consider myself a true citizen legislator. I'm not just saying that. We, we've created jobs. Uh, we, we have businesses from plumbing to, to restaurants to property companies. Um, we come home every single weekend. I'm working on the ranch, uh, which, you know, we have a cow-cab operation that we lose money all the time on. Um, I'm coaching wrestling every weekend. I don't live up here. In fact, I live in my office. I don't even, I don't even own a place up here. Um, I get on a plane. I sleep on my, I sleep on, in my office and I work out down in the gym and, and uh, I come home as fast as I can because to actually know what's happening, a true citizen legislator, this isn't their job. This is a, this is an opportunity for me, but this isn't my income. This isn't how I, I provide for my family. This is a service. And I wake up every single morning and say, love the people, love the call. My my livelihood is our companies that we built way before we got up here. We My wife and I, we got in business when we were 20 years old and we had nothing. And now we employ hundreds of people across the state of Oklahoma. And that's that's a touch of reality. That's different than what you have up here. When I first got up here, there was only one other current business owner. In fact, when I first got here, I was told by House Ethics that I should put all my businesses there, sell them or put them on a blind trust. And I said, I will go broke if I do that. Right. But that's what they tell people. So most people's only sole income is that that serve up here in the Senate and the House come from only being a member of Congress or the member of the Senate. And and uh, that's wrong. How do you actually understand what a citizen legislator is if you're not living by those rules? Because no one's going to fight harder for you with firsthand knowledge. Uh, and, and that that's just a fact. People, uh, there's a lot of lobbyists up here that will come and give you knowledge. 
But are you going to be passionate about it if you're not dealing with it? If you don't understand what Obamacare is doing for companies when you're trying to build, you get punished because you have over 50 employees, then then it's hard for you to understand. This morning, I'm, I'm working out in the gym and there's another member in there uh, from Massachusetts and he's talking about how great it is that we're going to have uh, through this mansion rollover and the Build Back Better plan, they're going to have a minimum tax of 15% on, on corporations. And I sat there and I said, so what you're saying is you're going to have a minimum tax, no matter what they spend, no matter what they invest in their company, they still are going to have to pay 15%. He says, yeah. So people agree with that. I said, but what you don't understand is that that's net income. And in our company, we, we budget seven to eight percent of our net income for growth that we're reinvesting in the economy, that we're hiring people, that we're building jobs that you guys are talking about. And now you're going to have a 15%. So no matter what I spend, I can't write that off. I've got to have a minimum tax, no matter what, of 15%. No matter what, if I make a profit or if I don't make a profit, I'm spending 15%. I said, that's taking money right out of the company, sending it to Washington, D.C., and they don't know how to spend it. They're squandering it every day. The problem is, is there are not enough citizen legislators up here. And so if we're going to fight, then we need to have people with firsthand knowledge. And that's what I bring. I, I'm not going to do this forever, but I get to do it now. And it's an honor to do it. But we need more people up here that has the same lifestyle that knows that this is a service, not a livelihood. Career politicians are just that. And we all make decisions, Kyle, on two things. The way we're raised, which never changes, and you can take the good and the bad, and you can decide what you want to do with it, because we all have good stories, and we all have bad stories about our childhood. But your 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 experiences from your livelihood, from what you've done, will always shape your income and, and always shape your outcome. And if all you've ever done is had politics in your career, then only thing you're going to do is make political decisions. I never went to a single political event in my life, Kyle, until I stood up one day and said I was running for Congress. That was the first political event I ever went to. And at that time, I didn't know anything about politics. Yeah, it's rough. And it's the difference, as you're talking, Mark Wayne, it's like the difference between someone that's read a business book and someone that's run a business. Because it's like someone that's read a business book, they're like, oh, yeah, that's, that sounds pretty good. We could probably do this and do that. But someone that's actually ran a business before, they're like, uh, wait a minute, did you think about this? you could do a univariate analysis and be like, that's a really stupid idea. And this is why, you know why? Because I ran a business and when I used to try and do something like that, it didn't work. So obviously well, that's, that's what happens when you get into a position like that. But, and, and, and Kyle, the reason why we haven't had minimum taxes, like a minimum X amount that you're going to do this, because we always encourage people to invest back in the economy. Because listen, if you're investing in the economy and you're not paying a, a income tax, so to say, on your on your profit, that doesn't mean you're not paying taxes because I'm paying taxes on everything I purchase still yet. Mm -hmm. I'm paying taxes on every dollar that goes out on income that I'm paying my, uh, that I'm paying employee taxes on. I'm paying taxes on everything that we purchase throughout the year. So you're still paying taxes, but the reason why there hasn't ever been a minimum in corporate income tax is because we, there was business write-offs that that allowed you to reinvest in your company. And that reinvestment is what this Build Back Better or the Deficit Reduction Act, because they renamed it to, to have a cool name like right. Affordable Health Care, uh, which was Obamacare. They renamed it to the uh, Deficit Reduction Act. They, that, that's one of those things that career politicians, they don't understand because they've never signed 
the front of the paycheck. They've never created it. They've never sat there and understood how hard it was to make payroll sometimes when you're starting a business. And now the entry to do business is going to be so high that it's going to be difficult for new people to get involved because your first few years in business, you're probably not making money because you're reinvesting everything into it. So now you're not only not going to be making money, but now you're going to also have a minimum of a 15% tax on something that what? You didn't make any money. Right. And people, career politicians don't get it. No, I mean, I got to tell you, when I was getting my MBA, I didn't know jack about business. Even after I got my MBA and did well in the program, I didn't know anything about business. It was whenever I started, whenever I had to figure out, you know, do I want to do a LLC? Am I going to file as an S Corp? Like, well, you know, do I do the 501c3 route? That's yeah. when you're really kind of the rubber meets the road. But uh, in the June 29th primary, you got 43.6% of the vote here in the state of Oklahoma. I say here, even though you're still out there on the East Coast right now, I'll still say here. But in second place was the man that you'll be doing the runoff election against on August the 23rd. That's TW. Shannon, he got 17.5% of the vote. Now, some people might think like, oh, this is already in the bag, but obviously when these no. things happen, there's kind of a consolidation of the other candidates and the votes kind of get sp uh, split off. And, you know, the last I saw, there's maybe like four or five point difference between the two of you right now. I don't really know what internal polling no, we've got going on. Okay. Yeah. That's so, not even close. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, so let's talk a little bit about that. So what is your, your team plan to do to keep the sizable advantage that you seemingly have over TW Shannon? And I guess just generically, what do you think of your opponent? I, I, TW is a good friend of mine and he'll probably say the same thing about me. Uh, we've been friends since 2011. Um, we were up by over 30 points uh, before we got President Trump's endorsement. Okay. So we, we were there. There's never been a we've never been with even in 20 points of each other from the day from day one. Um, our, our we've been fortunate that our lead has continued to grow. And and uh, and then and that was independent polling that had us at 30 percent above. Okay. And so then President Trump came in and President Trump's favorability um, is, you know, it's it's astronomical instead of Oklahoma in the runoff. It's like 90 percent. And so President Trump and I have a good relationship, too. He knows that we that we have the same vision. We have the same background, meaning that um, we're business people. We don't make political decisions. We make business decisions. And that's what he did. He got criticized for it up here. And I get criticized for doing the same thing, for making business decisions, because they're quite different. Political decisions and business decisions are quite different. So when he endorsed us, we talked a long time about that. Uh, for us, it's just a matter of not being complacent. We I only know how to get prepared for something one way. And that's run as hard as you possibly can run. When I was fighting professionally, when I was competing nationally and internationally in jiu-jitsu, or when I was wrestling at the collegiate level, um, I, I always said that you might beat me in the first round, first period. Um, but you, if you let me stick around the second or third, I only have one gear and I'm going to run as hard as I possibly can. So we're not going to be complacent. We're not letting our foot off the floor and we're going to run as hard as we possibly can all the way to August 23rd, not taking anything for granted. What I am not going to do, I'm not going to be the guy that's going to play preventive defense. I'm not going to be the guy that's going to do the front flip on the three yard line and fumble the ball on the one yard line because I celebrated too early. Uh, we're going to run all the way. And guess what? We're going to be friends. TW and I are going to be friends at the end of this thing. And he'll, he will say the same thing about me too. Um, I think the world of Devin and his kids, and um, and TW is a you know he's a good guy. We just have different resumes, and and that's it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, what you're describing is kind of the Randy Couture approach to MMA. Like he was the first person to kind of weaponize pace. And the thing about it is, is 
you should always prepare as if you're going to get yep. smoked in the first 30 seconds or smoke the guy in the first 30 seconds yep. because all you can do is control the controllables. Uh, you know, Hardell Moore, you know, kind of a legendary wrestling coach here in this yep. area. I know you know Hardell. That's what oh, he taught me. It's like, hey, control the controllables and you can control your effort. You can't necessarily control yep. the outcome. And part of I, what – go ahead. You know, I, I just expand on that. Randy's a good friend of mine. In fact, I do that, what we call the tour workout. He introduced it to me 2000. 2005 a long time ago when i was still fighting um, professionally and uh and of course it's a smoke workout it smokes you you know randy's right. still when he comes to dc um or when he comes in oklahoma we will still meet up and work out every morning together um uh, but uh, i i uh I, you know my my mindset changed about competition when and just to tell you a little bit about me when i when i was six years old and all of us wrestlers understand this especially those that wrestled young right when i was six years old I got thrown in a headlock and got put on my back. And I thought this kid was going to kill me, right? I mean, <laughs> I, I thought he was going to choke me to death. And I'm kicking and squirming. And I found, came up with a great idea how to keep from dying when I was six years old. I was like, hey, if I pin myself, I get out of this move. True. So I kicked and squirmed and I was successful in pinning myself. And I walked off the mat and my dad was, a, my dad still is a tough, he's, he's, he's a tough guy. Uh, he's 75 years old and he will still get in your face. And uh, I walked off the mat. My dad always was, he was, a, he was, you know, he was a plumber and, and, and a rancher and he had this uniform on and a, and, and a big old wad of keys and work boots. And he grabbed me by the shoulders and I thought, I'm dead. <laughs> right. I am dead. My life is over. I'm going to die anyways. And he says, don't you worry about it. You fought as hard as you can. And his perception was, as I fought hard, my perception is I knew I gave up. Right. And I remember laying in bed that, that night. My bed was in a, we had a, a lot of people, I'm the youngest of seven, so my bed was actually in a hall closet, and I was laying in my in my bunk slash cot, and um, it was actually a built-in bunk in the, in the hall hall closet. But I was I was sitting there, laying there, and I thought, I don't like this feeling inside of me, mm-hmm. and the determination I get right now comes a lot from that decision that night because I said I'd rather die before I ever gave up again. I'd rather you cut my head off, leave it on the side of the mat before I ever had this pit in my stomach, this gut, this this just something I can't do anything about. I hated it. And at that point, my mind changed that if you're going to beat me, you're going to hate the idea that you ever have to wrestle me again or you ever you're going to hate to ever have to fight me again. And, and no matter what it is, no matter if I'm competing or if I'm in a race like this, I will not be someone at the end of it to think I wish I would have done more. I will leave every single thing on the line. And at the end of the day, I will know that I could have maybe improved in something because I learned from it but it wasn't that I didn't give my all. Well, and that's the thing is we all have an inner quitter. There's another uh, name that you can use for that thing that's on the inside of you. And I've, I've been there in a jiu-jitsu tournament. I was in an absolute match going against a guy that had 90 pounds on me and it was sub only. And I accidentally pulled him into side control because I'm a genius. And in that moment, in that split second, I quit. I'm like, I, I'm not going to be able this guy weighs the a similar amount to the moon. I'm not going to be able to get him out of side control. And it wasn't until one of my coaches or one of my teammates on the side told me, hey, defend this where I kind of snapped out of it. But I've always remembered that, that I quit. I ended up winning the match 
but I quit. And I'm going to have to constantly kind of battle with that. But let's kind of get back in. You mentioned the Trump endorsement. So obviously Trump had a relationship with TW before this. He's had a relationship with you, but he didn't endorse TW. He endorsed you. But that does come along with his, with his baggage in the state of Oklahoma, not as much. But there is this stain with Donald Trump, no matter what you say. No one has a neutral opinion on the man. You either you know love him, MAGA, MAGA, or you hate him. He's the worst orange thing ever, uh, ever made, right? So what was it like for you when you ended up getting the Trump endorsement? And do you, have you kind of looked forward to like, okay, this, this might be a little bit of a stain for me moving forward as well? No, not a stain at all. Are you kidding me? Um, I love him, hate him. It doesn't matter to me. The guy was great for America and he loved this country. Uh, you can have your opinion about him if you want to. I get that we don't, we don't always like somebody's antics, uh, but you got to know their heart and I got to know the guy's heart. Uh, the guy loved this country. Let me tell you, there's a reason why his kids love him. There's a lot of very successful people out there that have no relationship with their kids and their kids are actually worthless human beings. <clears throat> Hunter Biden. Um, but you, you take somebody like Donald Trump who has successful kids and they love him. And then you take what happened to me and my family and understand why the relationship between President Trump and I are so strong. In, 20, in January of 2020, January 17th of 2020, my son was wrestling at the Tournament of Champions in Newton, Kansas. And uh, my son, Jim, was not just good, he was really good. He had wrestled all over the world. Uh, he was 17 and 0 internationally. Um, he was ranked um, uh, one of the best in the country at the time. He was a freshman. It wasn't a matter of if he was gonna go to college, it was if was he gonna skip a couple of the years and go to, to go to the Olympic Training Center first before he goes to college, or was he gonna take a college year while he was in college for the Olympics? And, and so he was literally, I'm not just saying it because he's my son, he was that good. And, uh, and he's, he's wrestling in a match and he gets hit in the head and I'm coaching it. I'm sitting there beside the match and he gets hit in the head and I see the look in his face and he, um, he walked over to me and he said, dad, I don't feel good. And he collapsed. Mm. And at that time he, 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 um, he went to crash. He coded, um, he wasn't breathing. He wasn't responding. Um, he had severe oxygen depletion. Uh, of course they rush him uh, to uh, Wichita, Kansas, to the Wesley medical center. Uh, for 26 hours, there was no stimulation at all. There was nothing. There was absolutely not. I mean, you could poking, prodding, rolling, nothing. His heartbeat was at 48 to 50 beats a minute, uh, but there was no stimulation at all. And, uh, and then he came to, and when he came to, I had this world-class athlete that all of a sudden couldn't touch his nose. Um, he, he couldn't look at his feet. He couldn't laze his feet up. He was doing trig in high school, and now he couldn't do five plus three. He, he knew who I was, but he couldn't place where he knew me, he just recognized me, couldn't tell him where he was, didn't know his name, didn't know anything. But they asked him who the president was, and he said, Trump. <laughs> and when President Trump heard about that, of course, he got a kick out of it. Right. And President Trump called me tough guy a lot of times, and he says, let me get this straight, let me get this straight. You mean he didn't know who you were, but he knew who I was? At that point, he took a very special interest in my son, and, and uh we went to we went to the Center for Neural Skills in Bakersfield, California, and I spent all of 2020 and a lot of 2021 out there in Bakersfield. And, uh, and my wife, she stayed home with the with the five kids, but she would travel out there a lot to see me. And then when we got where we could travel, we would come home as often as we could on weekends. But Jim, he went through 12 hours of rehab, um, learned how to do, redo everything. I mean, he had to learn everything you could imagine. I mean, he couldn't put a kindergarten puzzle together. Um, he, he, this kid that would do pull-ups and push-ups for days couldn't hold 20 pounds in his hands. You know, a kid that could do backflips just because he wanted to couldn't do a cartwheel. 
And uh, I mean, so I mean, he had to have a safety belt to walk. It's a pretty difficult time for us. But President Trump offered to pay for it. He offered to fly us back and forth in his personal plane. He said, and I was like, sir, we're good. We're okay. And then and this isn't any fanfare. He was doing it because of his care, his love for people. And then he, he said, well, I've got to come out to California anyways. I'll just make a stop in, in Bakersfield. So he decided to come see see, uh, see Jim. Yeah, I mean, here's a here's the, 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 the most powerful man in the world. And he wants to come see my son. Now, we, were, we had a good relationship at that time, but we didn't, I didn't think it was like this. And, and he, makes a, he makes a rally in, in Bakersfield just to come see Jim. And in the middle of the rally, he stops because he, see Jim, he sees Jim, uh, Jim is standing down there in the crowd. And he calls Jim up on the stage and he tells the crowd what he's doing. And then he gets down and he, he didn't care about what was going on. He didn't care about the tens of thousands of people that was there. He got down there and he hugged my son and he started encouraging. Then afterwards, he took us to the back. And his team's trying to rush him out, trying to say, sir, we got to go. We got to go. We got to go. And, and this happened three or four times. And he turned around to him and he says, hey, I guarantee you that plane won't leave without me. And he wasn't talking to me. He wasn't visiting with me. He wasn't trying to impress me. My son's growth got stunted. So he's five foot three. That's as tall as he's ever going to get. That's what a frontal lobe injury does. I didn't know that, but that's what happens. And so he's a little guy. And the pre President Trump's a big guy. And he was bent over, sat down, basically put Jim on his lap. I mean, he didn't, but I mean, that's basically how close they were. And for the next 10 minutes, he did nothing but speak into my son. It's the first memory that my son had after the injury because my son was having a short-term memory loss. Right. So he could remember past, but he couldn't remember anything present. So he would have, um, he would hold on to memory sometimes for a day sometimes for for you know an hour or two but this was about two months after the accident and this is when Jim, and the doctors told us said that something's going to trigger on him and then his memory will start coming back and that's his first full memory of uh, 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 and when things started working again and then after that the president called all the time so people can say that they don't like his antics but you need to know his heart and the news and the media out there never let you know about that guy, about that one, about how he cared for people. And our relationship is much deeper than that. And, he, and if I would have pushed him and really pushed him, he would have probably got involved in the primary, in the original primary without the runoff, because he'd say, you're my guy, you're my guy. But, you know, he had a guy named Alex Gray who's endorsed us that was running. Alex Gray worked in his administration all the way till the last day friend of his, Scott Pruitt, who was an EPA director, TW, and that's what this president told me. He said, Mark Wayne, you know, I got I got friends in this relationship. I said, I are in this race. I said, I, I get that. I understand that, sir. And so I didn't push him on it. But after the runoff or after the primary, he came in, he says, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. You're my guy. Let's do this. So I don't consider it any baggage. I expect I, I consider it a great honor to have President Trump on our on, on our side. Well, I appreciate you you going into that story. And then obviously, you know, everyone's trying to figure out, you know, is he going to run again in 2024? You know, he already lost to Biden before January 6th. And now you got the saying of January 6th, whatever you think about that. But uh, we've made it this long into the podcast, Mark Wayne, without talking about co-president Biden. I say co-president Biden because he's clearly not running things on his own. He's got a whole gaggle of people that are helping keeping him uh, keeping him upright. But we're not even halfway in 
to Obama's, yeah, we're, we're literally not even halfway into this, this, his first term as president or his, his potentially only term as president. And in my opinion, and in the opinions of millions and tens of millions of Americans at this point, his presidency has been an abject failure on every single possible yeah. level. He's been a failure using any metric that you want to use. So from your perspective, obviously you've, you've been in the United States house as this has been going on. Give us your thoughts on Joe Biden as president, I guess you could call him, and just on his administration and that he's supposedly in charge of, because that's the thing that people forgot in the 2020 election. You weren't just voting for Joe Biden or Donald Trump. You were voting for a Biden administration and a Trump administration. And again, I don't, even if you're like a major uh, Democratic nutswinger, how in the world can you look at what's happening right now and say that's better than what the previous administration was doing? So give us your thoughts on Joe Biden. Well, I, I sat on HIPSI, which is a House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. There's only there's very few of us. There's only eight of us. And so we deal with the nation's top secrets. We deal with with issues going on around the world. And I will tell you, he's dangerous. He's very, very dangerous. And I will I will put out just this as a public statement that we've heard. This is public news because it broke public yesterday that um, you've been hearing about. If not, you may have heard about a Taiwan and Pelosi. Now, I'm not a Pelosi fan at all, but Pelosi's wanting to go to, to Taiwan to visit, which honestly I support. And China is threatening military action if she goes. Right. And then yesterday during the conversation that is openly reported, so I'm not sharing anything classified, and I don't know how it got leaked to be quite frank with you. I was shocked that they actually released it. But, uh, but the president of China threatened the president of the United States and says, if you do this, you don't want to play with fire. Let me just say this. Do you think for a second that he would have said that to President Trump? Zero percent chance. There's no way. A, a weak leader is actually what we have. An absent leader is what we have. The world sees it. That's why you're seeing Putin be aggressive. And that's why you're seeing China be aggressive. And we have a leader that is absolutely non-responsive to it. When something like that leaks, which I would assume was probably leaked by China, because I can't imagine the president, because I don't release what the president said after that. Mm. But anyways. It, well, because what he said after that was, uh, 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 and then he fell yeah, asleep. Kind, kind of similar. Uh, but what was said after that is 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 more interesting and and you we have we under, we have to understand that China is our biggest threat to us right now. They have this thing called the Belt and Road Initiative. Mm -hmm. And people go, "Okay, that's cute. They got a Belt and Road Initiative." They look at politics as 100 years. We look at politics as 2 years. So they take a bigger, longer approach to things. And understand what the Belt and Road Initiative is. China and by, by the way, they're pushing this hard because we have a weak leader in Joe Biden. But China's Belt and Road Initiative is this simple. One, they build a road to encirculate the globe because they want to become the world leader, not because they want to be a nice guy. It's because they want to control the world economy. So they build a road to encirculate the world. Then they call it the Belt and Road Initiative because a belt has two terms in in uh, in uh, in China, one the belt is designed to tighten, to tighten and hold the tools secure. Two, it's designed for a belt. The buckle of the belt is designed to slap you across the jaw to shut you up. 
That is what we have to understand. That is the definition, the two definitions of what the belt is in the Belt and Road Initiative. And we have a weak president that's sitting back and watching it happen. Ukraine. I'll share this. This is this is public knowledge too. Do you, do you know that the that the war right now in Ukraine is still happening because of President Biden? And I'll show you I'll show you the example behind it. We were this close from negotiating a a, a, a not just a, a ceasefire, but negotiating a peace deal between um, President Zelensky and Putin. And, and Putin asked for four things. He asked for um, uh, 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 Ukraine to become a neutral state. You, he- you heard President Zelensky go out and say, we'll be a neutral state. You remember that? He said, yep. we'll be a neutral state. Two, he said he wanted Crimea to be recognized as a sovereign country or part of Russia. Uh, Zelensky didn't publicly come out and say he was going to accept that. But what he did say, he says, any Russian loyalists that want to leave Ukraine is welcome to go to a safe area. So pay attention to what he said. Safe area meant Crimea. Crimea is already under control of Russia. They've been under control of Russia for, for, for quite some time now. So that, that's not a big loss. Three, they wanted to control the ports. wasn't going to happen because they get control of the ports. They get control of 25% of the, of the uh, food supply in that region. Plus, they get control of all imports and exports, meaning gas, oil, and petroleum going in and out of, uh, of, of Europe. So that wasn't going to happen. Number four is what they wanted. They wanted the, the, the um, uh, Ukrainian army to lay down their arms and be completely dissolved. Not going to happen. But he was going to give him two out of the four things he wanted. President Biden, this is what happens when you got a weak leader. He goes to Europe and he says, as a 42-year career politician who has never seen the, the, the never seen, heard, or smelled the front lines in his life. He doesn't know what battle really is. I bet you I'd question if he's ever even been punched in the face before. The, the guy goes out there and he tells the battle-hardened 82nd Airborne what they're going to see when they get in Ukraine. We've never, Kyle, we've never discussed, ever discussed, not one time, about putting troops into Ukraine. And I, on the intelligence side, I'm over the warfighters. I'm ranker over the warfighters. I would know if we're discussing it. We've never discussed about putting men and women in uniform into Ukraine. And President Biden's telling these individuals that we're go- what they're going to see when they get in Ukraine. Immediately, we, had, we started getting phone calls and we had to say, no, 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 we had a president that misspoke. Then the next day he said that President Putin couldn't stay in power. Once again, never discussed. But you have a senile president that said something that was so irrational and, and out, of, out of line that all you heard was Russia and Putin heard that we're putting troops of the 82nd Airborne to which they fear on their border with Ukraine, and he can't stay in power. Negotiations over. We haven't even been able to stop negotiations. President Lindsey comes out and says, uh, diplomacy has law, has been has failed. We need weapons. So all the deaths that are happening today is because of President Biden, his weak leadership. Well, I think the obviously calling him a weak leader is, I mean, it's like calling water wet at this point, because this is a guy that people are always concerned about the damage that can be done by a strong man. As many people have pointed out, it's the damage done by a weak man that is far exceeding that of what a strong man can do. And so there's so many more things that we could talk about, but obviously you've got things that you got to get into, but I do want to get granular on some topics that are directly facing the American public. And again, guys, we're not going to be able to dig way far in. So if you want me to ask a follow-up question, and why didn't you ask him about this? We just don't 
don't really have the time. I just want to kind of skate over these things because I know us here in Oklahoma, we're worried about a lot of these things, but then people all over the country are worried about these things as well. The very first thing that's on top of mind for everybody, it's not global warming. It's not, you know, whether or not their kids trans, it's the economy. It's out of control inflation. It's the recession that we are literally in, no matter how you redefine words. It's government spending. It's the national debt. It's everything that goes into the greater macro economy. And so from your perspective, if you're able to get into the U.S. Senate, and I know we have to be brief, getting into the U.S. Senate, what are the things that you can do and that you can advocate for that will help us turn this economy around? Well, the two things you have to go over, you have to go after our energy. Uh, because energy is the backbone of every economy. If you if you want to see a third world country, I'll show you a country that doesn't have reliable and affordable energy. For a, for a strong economy, you got to have affordable and reliable energy, and you need to be self reliant to be able to do so in a major stage. Uh, and so, if we're ever going to turn around inflation, which Oklahoma is being hit disproportionately high nationally, inflation is at a forty year high with it, which is just over nine percent. Um, if you look at Oklahoma, Oklahoma is being hit with inflation at 14.9%. So we're unfortunately batting way above our average on inflation. Uh, the, and so that, that's, that's, that's scary. If we're going to bring that down, we have to tackle the energy cost and what's the, what's the root cause of it? Because you cannot produce a product or deliver a product without energy. Energy is the direct increase the direct cost of everything. When you have $5 a gallon diesel, that's going to be passed on to delivery cost. Mm -hmm. When you have to pay extra for energy to, to make a product, that's going to be passed on to the retailer and to the consumer. So that, that has to happen. So how do we do that? First of all, we got to open the pipelines back up. A lot of people don't realize this in January 20th, uh, President, uh, January 20th of, of 2021, uh, Biden went put put back into place Biden or Obama's pipeline initiative. And what that basically did, it was slowly choking the ability to be able to get product for point A to point B. And what they did is they, they raked each each uh, pipeline, not the way it was inspected, not the way that it was permitted for, but based on the years of service. And they said, if it's been in year, I'll just use examples. It's been in service for 10 years. You have an automatic 20, 20% flow reduction, regardless that it's already passed all these all these safety regulations. And regardless of the fact that they may have been completely rebuilt, but it's permitted under the same permit and you got a 20% flow reduction. When they started doing that, they started making it harder for our product to get to the refineries. And so people started competing more for the price. And that's when you started seeing the increase immediately take place. So you gotta, you gotta flow those pipelines at, com at complete capacity. You gotta quit slow walking the permits and you gotta build in infrastructure, which is more pipelines, which is a Keystone pipeline. You, and we gotta be less reliant on Saudi oil and Russia oil. We, if we control the market, we control the price. Right now we're allowing Saudi Arabia to control the price of a, of a barrel of oil. When we started becoming a net exporter in 2015, 2016, you saw the price go dramatically down because we started setting the price and it wasn't allowing some Saudi prince and a cartel to do that for us. When we control our destiny, we control prices. And so that's the first thing that happens. Second thing, we've got to go after these faceless bureaucrats. 
what is the bureaucrats doing? Why is it that that we're able to rule through executive order right now? We're not legislating. We're making decisions based on executive order, which is why President Biden was able to undo all the things that President Trump did through executive orders. But it was also President Trump was able to undo everything that Obama did through executive orders. What started causing executive orders to be the rule of the country? Well, in 2005, there was a Chevron deference decision that went through um, the uh, went through the Supreme Court. Chevron essentially uh, sued the EPA and asked if there's a difference of opinion between a Congress and the legislation they wrote and the rule that was put out, the rulemaking that was put out by the agency, who has final say? And the Supreme Court at the time said that because Congress has has deferred to the agencies as experts, they become the final say. After that, you started seeing everything start going through executive orders because they could go back and relook at the Clean Water Act from 1972 and redefine the word navigable bodies of water. Congress definition of navigable bodies of water back in 1972 was where we could have our, uh, our U.S. Coast Guard build a patrol. That was why it was navigable. Obama ruled it underneath intermittent streams, meaning that anything that flew into eventually navigable bodies of water became ruled a federal water. They was no longer personally owned. It was federal water. That's how far it goes. So if we're going to change the way we're doing this to executive orders and quit allowing these presidents to be able to go in and change our economy literally by an executive order, then we've got to re- we've got to take that power back from those agencies, which means that we got to have the court re-rule on that. And then we got to pass legislation to redefine that so we can bring stability back in our country. Yeah, I appreciate you going into that level of detail. It's a very, very complicated subject, but sure. there are some things that we can do almost immediately to help curb a lot of things that right. we're seeing. The next thing that I think is on the top of mind for a lot of Oklahomans, especially uh, to our neighbors down there to the south is illegal immigration. So we literally have a wide open southern border. It is funny that whenever you see illegal immigrants being bused to states like New York and Washington, D.C., all of a sudden uh, Mayor Bowser and all of a sudden, you know, uh, Mayor Adams or whatever, uh, they're all they're freaking out. They're all of a sudden like, oh, what are we going to do with all this influx of people that people in like Oklahoma and Texas have been dealing with uh, the social services and the strain and drain on their local populaces because of this illegal immigration crisis. And I stopped short of saying that it's an invasion, but it's starting to feel that way whenever we literally have the Biden administration flying these people in the middle of the night and basically seating them all over the country. And again, I believe, as you do, that all these people have the image of God, but if uh, written on them, they have the Imago Dei, they should be valued. But saying that they should just be able to walk into the country uh, and saying that we don't have a border, that's saying you don't have a country. Because if you don't have walls, you don't have a house. If you don't have borders, you don't have a country. So from your perspective, again, we've seen the, the build the wall thing. We've seen all these other things. And then we've seen basically none of that happen during the Biden administration, and that's by design. But if you enter into the United States Senate, what are some things that you could do to help curb illegal immigration, which is a massive, massive issue, even for national security? So let, let's let's go back to what you said about we're all created in God's image. They all love by God. They're all grace of God, right? But Jesus Christ also said that you're supposed to obey the law of the land, the government. I mean, he, he said that. Jesus Christ said that. In fact, he was telling his apostles that, that when you're going forth and you're going to go in there, make sure you obey those laws of that, of that government body. Uh, and so we got to understand that they are breaking the law when they come in here. So that... 
you can have you can't have both. So there is rules of law. We are a we're a we're not a lawless country. We're a nation of laws, which separates us from a third world country, which is why a lot of people want to come here, which is why the Hispanic vote is flipped on the Democrats, because they wanted to leave a country that was a lawless country and come to the United States. But the Democrats right now, they're not even discussing amnesty, remember, anymore. They're not doing that. They want complete and open border. But we got to take this farther and realize that the border crisis is exactly what that is. But what is the biggest threat to the United States? Yes, the, the, the overpopulation is coming in, uh, but we have to redo and we have to reassess the way we have our immigration policies. Because if we have a system so complicated and so difficult that you can dig a tunnel faster than you can go through the proper process, you encourage illegal activity. That's why too many laws create law breakers. You got to have common sense laws that are put in place that will allow law abiding citizens that want to come here and live underneath our world law because they want the opportunity that America brings to be able to come in legally and we can focus on the bad actors. But we have to attack this in, in multiple different ways. One, we got to attack the national security risk. We have a huge, huge, huge national security risk. Over 60 individuals that were wanted on the terrorist watch list has been apprehended in just the last year on our southern border. How many have we we left go through? 60. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, when something bad happens. This is a national security risk. If nothing else, we have to stop that. And then the fentanyl crisis is coming in. What is and pe- people need to go deeper than just yeah, it's affecting our streets and we're losing loved ones because of it. Because we all have someone in our lives that we love that have probably had some type of addiction issue. I mean, if 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 we think about it, and some are really close, some are really close. I mean, we have it personally in our in in our family from a couple in laws. Um, this is this is this that that hits home. But where's the fentanyl coming from? The fentanyl is coming directly from China. China is the number one supplier of fentanyl that is moving up into the United States. Why is China interested in dumping fentanyl into the United States? Because they're trying to break down the moral fabric of this country. Because they know if they can break the moral fabric of this country, that they can slowly, methodically take over the United States without firing a shot. Remember, they're not thinking two years or four years, they're thinking a hundred years at a time. And the best way that they see how to break a family unit up is just historically look what happens to families when they leave a, when they lose a child. What happens is most of the time the parents end up getting a divorce and the family falls apart because it's so devastating that the parents can't get over it. It's not that they blame each other. They just grow apart from each other. And and this is killing young people faster than ever. And, and they understand that. And all you have to do is look into it. So it's a huge national security issue that we're having. And they're using the, the illegal crossing as a distraction to allow them to get the drugs through in record numbers. The Democrats see this. They know this. They set not in exactly the same intel briefings that I do because there's only a few of us that set in those, but they get a top secret, which is a TS level. There's much levels above TS, uh, but they get a top secret. Every member of Congress, it, be it in the House or the Senate, gets a TS briefing on this, and they get this level of briefing because this isn't even classified that I'm showing you. It's not even sensitive. I'm sharing you open source information. They know this exact same stuff, Kyle, and they choose to do nothing with it. So in the Senate, when we get control of the House and we get control of the Senate as, as Republicans, 
this will become a, a major issue and we're going to put the president in, in a very tough spot on trying to explain why he's not willing to secure the border because we're going to put legislation on his desk that he's going to either have to veto or sign. And if he vetoes, unfortunately, we won't have the supermajority to overrule it, but he'll put him in a bad spot why he has to explain that to the American people. I don't think he'll do it. I think he'll sign it because he knows the national security risk that's, that's happening there. Well, it's something that should be talked about every single day on the news, but there's plenty of distractions for a lot of people. And I remember when uh, Senator Lankford from the state of Oklahoma, whenever he got up in front of the Senate and he basically said, look, we've we've apprehended somebody at the border from every single country in the globe, all of them since the beginning of the Biden administration. And like that includes all of our enemies. And that's just the people that we've apprehended. You mentioned the 60 people that were on the terror watch list. Those are the ones we knew about. Uh, not not to say the other people that have come in and created their own terrorist cells that, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen with those long term. Uh, the next thing, and maybe this will be the last thing in terms of the uh, in terms of the policy things that we'll look what, at. Oh, you ask me whatever you want. Yeah. So wokeness. Right. That's not that's more of a philosophy as opposed to, you know, what about this policy on wokeness? But we're seeing this in K through 12 schools. We're seeing it with critical race theory and gender theory and those things. We're obviously seeing it in universities where most of this started. But then we're seeing it in big business. We're seeing it in the military. We see a military that seems to be more concerned about diversity, equity, and inclusion as opposed to lethality. Like we're here to kill people and break stuff. That's what the United States military should be focused on, right? Obviously, we see it with big tech. But as a United States senator, what are some things that you can see or that, that could be done to help curb a lot of this? Because I know it's a tremendous concern for a lot of parents while they have their kids in the household, but then whenever they're sending their kids into the world being like, man, my, my kid really wanted to, to be an army ranger or man, he really wanted to go SF or he really wanted to be a SEAL. But now he's worried about whether or not he's diverse enough to even get through the screening, which should not be his concern. His concern should be whether or not he has the stones to make it through. You know what I mean? So talk to me a little bit about wokeness. By the way, I appreciate you making the difference between uh, SF Special Forces Green Bray and an operator with the Navy SEAL. I appreciate that. Yeah. You, somebody that's worked with these guys, I, I appreciate the definition difference. Sure. A, most people don't get that, by the way. Right. Um, so uh, let's let's talk about what government can do and can't do. First of all, um, we got to be very, very careful that we don't look to Washington, D.C. to solve our issues. We got to a big government because everybody wants Washington, D.C. to solve their issues. We got to realize that a lot of this stuff is local. And we want to keep most politics as local as singularly possible. And and so let's talk about what we can do. We can combat this this um, equality, neutrality, uh, all inclusive first agenda in DOD, uh, Department of Defense, which instead of them trying to recruit and hire the best, they're more interested in promoting and recruiting diversity. Uh, that's 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 not what we do. We want to give everybody equal opportunity. But at the end of the day, the cream is going to rise to the, to the top. And so you want the best in some of these most elite positions, not based on anything else, but your performance. Full stop. When you start looking about what happens in, in our intelligence community, once again, this Biden administration is more focused on equality and, uh, and inclusion than they are about putting the right people in the places. And you see that with his own cabinet. I mean, think about this. Mm -hmm. Who do we have running HHS? Are you freaking kidding me? Yeah. Who do you have running the transportation? Buttigieg? 
where is his resume that says that he's he's capable of doing this because he ran a small town as a mayor? I mean, where where is it that you get this? Look at our Department of our, 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 our Secretary of Energy. It's just they don't look at that. They look at it from I, I, in business. I hired the best person for the job. Period. I didn't care if you're Republican or even Democrat when I hired you. I didn't ask because as a business owner, I can't even ask that. Mm-hmm. Uh, in politics, you can, but in 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 the real world, you can't. But I hired the best person for the position. That's how we need to address it. But now we start talking about schools and universities. Who's who's choosing who goes on those school boards? Who's choosing who who's going to allow those corporations to do business in our town? Who's choosing to be on the board of regent? That's not the federal government that's doing that. That's our governor that's deciding who's going to be on the board of regents to the universities that's inside our state. That's the uh, that's the the, the 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 people the town people are deciding who they're going to vote for to run for their city council, and it's the people that have uh, have investments inside that school, which is people that's buying that's paying property taxes and they have kids that go to that school that's voting on the school board members. We have to take back those positions. We have to go back and fight it at the base level because they did. Jerry Polis, who took over Colorado, which was a red state like Oklahoma, he literally wrote the book on how to turn a state from red to blue, and he discussed it by taking over city council races, school board races, local races, and putting the people in place and then graduate them up to higher offices. We have to take back our local community, and that means it's not okay for any of us to set back and not be involved at this point. People say, well, I don't have the time to do it. Okay, do you have the resources? Do you have the finances? Or do you have the time to go knock doors? Because I can tell you, I got involved in politics when I realized that that was the biggest threat to my businesses. I wasn't looking for anything to do. I only, I, Granted, I only had three kids then. I have six kids now, uh, three as that came natural and three that we chose. So basically what I say by that is three, three biological and three adopted. But when I first got in office, I had three kids. I was coaching all their stuff, football, baseball, and all wrestling, and even had a jujitsu gym and was, it was training fighters. I had multiple companies at the time employing hundreds of people across the state of Oklahoma. I wasn't looking for anything else to do. I was busy. But I, 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 as I said before, I'm not. You, I, you're not going to change anything you're willing to, to tolerate. And I wasn't willing to tolerate it anymore. I got fed up, and I went and I went to my very first political event and stood up. I didn't own a tie, didn't own a suit, and I stood up and said, "I'm running for Congress because I got fed up." People need to stand up and take back their community. If we're going to fight wokeism, it starts at home. Well, that's the thing is we're so distracted by the shiny object and the shiny object is the federal government. What's going on there? And at Undaunted Life, we're here to equip men to push back darkness. And sometimes that can happen on a school board. Sometimes that can happen on the city council. But a lot of men are not equipped with the, the right tools, the right knowledge to be able to go to the school board and say, hey, not only do I not like critical race theory, I know what it's called. I know where it comes from. I know that it comes from critical legal studies and critical theory. I know that it comes from the Frankfurt School. I know that it comes from Karl Marx's butthole. I know exactly where this theology (laughs) comes from, and we need to eradicate it. Now, I'm looking at the clock. I know we're a little bit past time. Can I lobby you for about 10 more minutes? Are we able to stick in? Let me me talk about that knowledge. Yeah, go for it. I didn't know anything about politics either. I didn't know who Speaker Boehner was. I didn't know who Nancy Pelosi was. I never even watched Fox News. I didn't know anything about it, but I knew I was frustrated. And you don't have to be an expert on the issues that you're upset about. 
You just have to be passionate about it and why it's affecting you. You are your only expert. Don't get into the weeds about this and that if you don't know about it. Explain why you're upset and why it's affecting you and why you're wanting to do something about it. Become an expert in your own world because it's your life experiences that drove you there. So don't worry about anything else. It's your passion that's going to make you successful. Yeah, guys, just take one bite at a time. Like you literally don't have to be an expert in philosophy to be able to explain why Karl Marx is a dum-dum. Like that, that's not something that you're going to have to do. Right. But you probably should read the Communist Manifesto. It's probably something that you should understand. Now, uh, a center point of your faith, taking a little bit of a left, point, a left turn here, even though it's come up a couple of times already, is your Christian faith. That That's a right. center point of your campaign, also with TW's campaign, which is good to see for me as an Oklahoman, that one of you guys will be representing us. But Tell us why that's so important for you in this job that you're applying for to be a United States senator, because a lot of people would much rather you not be a Christian if you're going to serve in politics. Go. Well, I don't know how you separate those. Listen, I was raised in church my whole life, but I didn't I didn't get saved until I was 20 years old. Um, I got married when I was 19. My wife was 18. We went out one night right after we got married and like I did. And most wrestlers did. We got in trouble that night. Um, <laughs> we call it fun, but um, we got in trouble that night and uh my wife basically looked at me. She says, I'm not living this way. And because my parents insisted on me going to church, I had this, you know, this, uh, this seed that was already planted inside of me. And I thought, I don't want to live this way either. I didn't like the way my wife looked at me. And uh, I went to an Assemblies of God, Woodland Park Assemblies of God at that time at 61st and, and Mingo. It's moved now. It's called Hope Hope assembly, I think now, but, uh, I, I went there and I gave my heart to the Lord in August of 97 and I had a bad temper. I had a bad mouth. <laughs> I had, uh, I was not perfect whatsoever and nor am I now either. I pray every night before I go to bed, Lord, forgive me. And I wake up and I ask Lord, forgive me because I know I'm a, I'm, I'm just one mistake away from being exposed as a hypocrite than I am. But because of my faith, because of my relationship with the Lord, I'm able to set priorities. And my priorities are God, family, and then you. And the reason why I set those is because if those first two are out of line, then I can't be successful in doing what I'm asking the American people in the state of Oklahoma to vote for me or anything in my life, in your business, in, 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 in whatever career you're in. You can't be fully 100% committed and at your fullest potential if you're not right with the Lord, because you're living in a life of regret, if you're not living for the Lord, there's things every day you're going to regret and you're going to be dealing with things that you shouldn't be dealing with if you had the love of Christ in your heart. And then and, and then if you're not if you're not doing that, you're probably not going to be as successful in your family either. So there's going to be turmoil at home. And my worst day in my life is when my wife's mad at me. I apologize for things all the time that I didn't do. Uh, maybe I did, but that I was right on. I know I was right, but I still apologize because I just want to end the argument because I, I want to be good at what I'm doing that day. And I want to love her. I want to love my kids. I want to be at my best. And so your priorities are set and my priorities are God, family, and then everybody else. And I'm able to achieve at a much higher level because of that. But when someone says that, you know, you shouldn't be a Christian or faith doesn't come into your decision making, what are you talking about? I wake up every single morning and say, love the people, love the call. I serve because I get to serve, because I truly love the people. And yes, I'm going to make decisions based on my faith. You can't separate the two. It's like business people saying that there's business ethics and there's personal ethics. No, there's not. It's ethics. And anybody that tells you there's business ethics and there's personal ethics, don't do business with that person because they're going to burn you because all they're doing is justifying their actions. 
So, of course, I'm going to make decisions because of my faith. As I said, we all make decisions based on how we're raised and our personal experiences, our life experiences. And so it's who I am and I can't separate those and I'm proud of it. Well, I think that's an important thing I've heard politicians say before. It's like, okay, hey, a constituent will say, hey, I'm an atheist. I'm concerned that you're a follower of Christ or a Christian or whatever you call it. But then whenever they respond and say, you better hope that I legislate and I operate as if that's real because every single worldview has to answer four questions. Origin, meaning, morality, destiny. Origin, why are we here? Meaning, what's the meaning of life? Morality, what's the difference between good and evil? Destiny, where do we go when we die? And I happen to believe that Christianity answers all those questions in the best way possible but also we all live by a moral code whether but the thing is is somebody that doesn't have a christian worldview they think we're a highly evolved chimp that used to be a highly evolved fish that used to be highly evolved goo like that's something that they can't get we can't extrapolate out from your worldview any type of oughts you ought not do this you ought do that but i'm not gonna i don't want to get into a sermon here i again i'm looking at the clock how are you doing time wise do we still have a little bit of time okay i do want to get into kind of a, a rapid fire section here because it's great to get in deep in a lot of these different subject matters. But I have a segment that I like to do called, what would you say to someone that said? And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, what would you say to someone that said? I'm going <laughs> to fill in the blank. Interesting. Yeah, but here's the thing. You have 30 seconds maximum. I don't have a buzzer around here, but I will just start yelling. I'm a ginger. I yell anyway. But you have 30 <laughs> seconds, regardless of what I say, to give me your response. So you up for All right. it? Yeah. All right, let's get it. First one here. What would you say to someone that said, I hate the United States of America? move you know what's funny about that you gave me the exact same one word answer as your opponent here in a few (laughs) weeks which i agree with the both of you let's get into the next one here what would you say to someone that said all republicans are racist they don't know me and and i'd sit down and talk to them about it i'd say why are you saying that where you come up with that you're making a judgment based on what you're almost being racist towards me because of that, because racism is defined by judging someone not because of their qualities, because of their either race or their affiliation. And so I, I would I would simply try to educate the individual. I wouldn't hate them, but I'd want to sit down and have a conversation with them, not with anger, but with love. Yeah, that's what prejudice is. It's prejudging okay. someone based on their immutable characteristics. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said, there's no way I could ever support Donald Trump for president? Get to know him. Why? I can share the story about their heart and about the man that I see. You may not like his rhetoric, but you cannot deny his love for the country. He fought for this country every step of the way. He certainly did. Next one here. What would you say to someone that said, I do not think Mark Wayne Mullen will be a good senator? Well, I I guess they're open to their opinion, but I'd sure like to get an opportunity to earn their respect. I, I I can't make everybody love me or like me. I get that. But I, I want you to know that I respect you, respect your opinion. And, and uh, hopefully at the end of the day, I can earn that respect from you because I don't expect you to give it to me. I have to earn it every day. And that's why you're campaigning every day. What would you say to someone that said we should keep God out of politics? Absolutely not. It's impossible. Uh, if you go to the House floor right now, the only face that faces forward, there's a bunch of half faces that surround the House floor. There's only one that faces forward. And it's because of Moses. What does Moses contribute to us? Well, go back and look at the judicial branch and what Moses' father-in-law said to him about how to set up people to come to him with complaints. Our judicial branch is arguably the checks and balances to our Bill of Rights and our Constitution. It's a moral fabric also of our country. And you cannot have a republic and a democracy like the United States without morality. 
well, we've canceled everybody else after they died. We might as well do the same to Moses. I'm sure they'll go after him before too long. All right, next one here. What would you say to someone that said, I'm a lifelong Democrat, but I'm fed up with what's happening in my country? Uh, that's great. Being fed up means you're going to get involved. There's nothing wrong with being a lifelong Democrat. There's nothing wrong with being affiliated with with a party. But read the platform and let me tell you and, let, and ask me uh, after you read it what that platform said to you. Does it line up? with your policies and who you believe today, because the national Democrat platform, I bet you doesn't line up with what you think it does today that it did when JFK was in office. And that's just generally good advice. If you purport to be a part of a party, you should probably know their platform because there are some people that are Democrats that don't realize Democrats support murdering babies up until the day of birth and into the perinatal period, right? So there's just- Hey, listen, I had a a pastor, a good pastor friend of mine who his dad actually married my wife and I when we were 19, 18 years old. He was a lifelong Democrat and I gave him the platform and I said, read it, Navelle, and let me know if this lines up with you. And he came back three days later and he says, all right, I switch, but don't tell my daddy. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. All right, I got a couple more here for you what would you say to someone that said the united states's place as the dominant world power will soon be at an end no way not under my watch we're going to fight this every step of the way i'm not okay with giving up at this point we have to because we are as ronald reagan said the sign the sign the shining city on the hill and and that is because people look to us they want to come to us we're, we have people immigrating towards us because they believe in the American dream and they have hope that we will be there when in the, in the time of need. And so we're not going to give up. We're not going to lose this to China because we can't. We're fighting for us and the generations coming ahead of us. And failure is not an option. It certainly is not. All right. What would you say to someone that said, T.W. Shannon has my vote? Oh, I get it. He's a good guy. Okay. We can leave it there. But We'll, we'll leave it with one last question. So this will be how we wrap up today. This is the big question, right? So we, we made it an hour in, but this is the big question, the only question that my audience really needs an answer to. And that's on August the 23rd, why should Okies vote for you over T.W. Shannon? As I said, T.W. is a good guy. We have different resumes. And so it comes down to what type of person you want to represent you. And 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 this is no slate at, at T.W., but, um, you know, our 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 backgrounds are quite different. Um, politics it hasn't been part of my life. And when uh, when T.W. was in law school, I was I was building my first business. Uh, when he was when he first got elected to the house, um, I was buying and 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 uh, and and growing our companies. When he was Speaker of the House, I was fighting the EPA, the Department of Labor, the EPA, and everything else in Obamacare that was fight that was infecting our companies. Um, we make decisions based on two things, our life experiences and uh, the way we're raised. Um, our life experience has been different. When push comes to shove, we're going to agree on 95 or 99% of the issues. But when you really have to make a hard decision, what are you going to refer to? Are you going to refer to your political background or your business background? Because if you're, if you're making political decisions, I'll argue to say we got plenty of people in Washington, D.C. making political decisions. What we don't have enough people making business decisions because if they were making business decisions, we wouldn't be $30 trillion in debt. That's true. Well, Mark Wayne, that's all for me. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? No, I'm good. I'm really good. And I I want people to understand what I just said is not a hit at TW. I like the guy. We are friends, but that's the difference between it. And I wasn't going to bring it up, but you asked, and I really hate even saying that uh, because I don't want to do anything to damage that guy. We will be friends when this thing is all said and done. 
but it is a campaign. People need to know what differences there are because you don't want to necessarily be flipping a coin. You do want to make a conscious decision. So I feel like you laid it out as fairly as you could. But Mark Wayne Mullen, thank you for coming on Undaunted Life, a man's podcast. Thank you, sir. There you go, guys. I hope you enjoyed my time with Mark Wayne Mullen, who's a United States Senate candidate. But before we let you go, we are going to do a Queer Resilience Boost. At Undaunted Life, our mission is equipping men to push back darkness with content that forges spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. So just like with TW, I have one link for you, and that is the link to Mark Wayne for Senate. So you can go to his Senate website to check him out. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. We do appreciate it. Wherever you're listening to this, please subscribe, rate, and leave us a positive five-star review. If you want me to come speak live at your event or on your podcast, just shoot me an email to info at undaunted.life. That's I-N-F-O at undaunted.life. You can follow us on Instagram and like us on Facebook and check out our website for everything else, including how to donate to keep more content like this coming your way. Just go to www.undaunted.life. And as always, we want to thank the band August Burns Red for allowing us to use their music for our content. The music on this podcast is our song Cutting the Ties, which is off their 10th anniversary re-recording of their album Leveler. The links are in the description. I'm your host, Kyle Thompson. Remember, keep pushing back darkness, Keep forging spiritual, mental, and physical resilience. Keep seeking the Lion of Judah. <laughs>